Hi, my name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of 6-8 Church in Vancouver, Washington. The following is a message from our Sunday morning gathering that we hope encourages and inspires you in your journey to be more like Christ. For more information, visit 6-8-Church.com. That's the number 6 and the number 8, church.com. We're going to have a lot of fun this morning. It's going to be one of those mornings that you walk away from church just thinking, man, that was such a... Such a fun sermon, lots of fun, fun, uh, light-hearted, you know, joy-filled content. Um, so we're talking about Hebrews chapter 13 and kind of zeroing in on a specific verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Um, you can open up your Bibles if you want to and turn to that, and then you'll understand the fun that we're about to have. Um, Oh yes, the slips. If you if you haven't, um, can you fill out the slips? That's uh, one of the things that we, we're trying to track: Bible reading, prayer, and devotional uh, activity here at the church, so that uh, we're tracking things more than just attendance and finances and that kind of stuff. And these are things we think are at least as important, if not more important, than those. So, um, if you would fill those out, and then uh, we'll collect those and share those with you. So, some of you know this already, um, but several years ago, I stopped listening to Rush Limbaugh, and I know that kind of tells you about uh, the kind of person I am and some of my ideology and that kind of thing, and um, what, you, what I want you to know is that I'm a Christian first more than, uh, than anything political, and so I, I work really hard to make sure scripture informs anything about how I vote, um, or, or the way I think. And so, but I was, I'd spent, because I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, I'd spent a lot of my life listening, thank you, April, listening to Rush Limbaugh. And if you have more of those, just fill them out and put them at the middle of your table. We'll collect them at the end of the service too. The more people that fill it out, the more accurate it gets. So um, last week we had about 56% of our people that filled it out, 56% of the people in the room filled it out. I'd love to get that up to roughly 85% if possible. So if you haven't filled it out, please consider doing that. But um, grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, and, uh, but I stopped listening to Rush Limbaugh. And then earlier this year, we actually turned off the Fox News channel um, on, our, on our dish subscription. And there's a reason for that. Um, well, the reason we turned it off is because we were leaving on vacation. I didn't want to pay for it while we were gone. And then we left it off. Um, but when you take in a lot of news, it's hard to not be negatively affected. And it's about as likely that you're not going to be negatively affected as trying to breathe underwater without drowning. Like, it's pretty much a guarantee. If you take in a lot of news, you're going to have a negative mindset, negative way of thinking about the world. This is at least my experience in my life. And that's because most news is, comes from a negative standpoint. It comes from, these, this is what's wrong with this situation, no matter what the situation is. Very, very rare that you find good, positive news. But then uh, my parents, I know, who often listen to uh, watch us online, watching us on Facebook probably, um, they, are, uh, they, they still listen to Rush regularly, and I know a lot of people maybe in this room still listen to Rush. I'm not, I'm not judging you for doing that. Um, and watch Fox News regularly, again, not judging you for doing that. Um, but they came to visit about a year and a half ago during the summer. And when, when they were here, after they kind of settled in a day or two, my dad started looking for a radio to tune in to Rush Limbaugh. And that's when I told him that we don't listen to Rush Limbaugh in this house. Told my dad that. So, um, now I don't remember my dad ever saying growing up the phrase, not while you're under my roof. But that's a pretty popular phrase, right? Pretty popular thing. I've said that as a parent. Um, but there was no doubt in our mind that dad was in charge of the house. And so if, if we wanted to watch something other than the news during dinner, there wasn't any way that was going to happen if dad was home. 
right? Because it was his house. And if he was late from work, and we were already at the table eating, and then he came home while we were eating dinner, and we were watching something else, he would turn the channel to the news, because it was his house. Well, when it was my house and I made that statement, my dad honored my wishes. He didn't argue, he didn't, he didn't throw, you know, throw a fuss or anything like that, but while they were staying with us, he did not listen to Rush Limbaugh in our house. But one day, I went out to the shop and found him with a radio in the shop tuned in to Rush Limbaugh. Now, I don't know if you know much about trying to listen to a radio in a shop with metal siding, but it's nearly impossible to get a radio signal inside a shop with metal siding, especially for a weak AM signal. So I think there was about 80% static and 20% Rush Limbaugh coming through, and I found him out there listening to Rush Limbaugh as much as he could through the static. But he did respect my wishes not to do it under the roof of our house, just not under the roof of the shop. He obeyed the letter of the law, but not the intent of the law. So, uh, so but I think, this is, I think this is how we think. You know, if you think about roof, you know, we've got a picture of a roof that we can maybe throw up there real quick, Timely. Under the roof of a house, we, we generally assume when you're in somebody else's house, when you're under somebody's roof, it's, you know, they are in charge, right? It's their, their domain, their rules, their, they get to tell you when you come to their house, if you leave your shoes on or off, you know, they get to, they get to do that because it's their house. And usually, you know, in a lot of our family, if we, if we go to someone else's house for a meal, it's, it's their house and they decide who prays or they pray so on and so forth. Their rules, and my aunt um, is hosting a, a Christmas open house and she was posting about what you could and couldn't bring. One of the things she said not to bring was don't bring any alcoholic beverages, please, because it's her house, she's allowed to do that. Um, because we understand that when you're under somebody else's roof, they get to decide how you're going to uh, live under their roof, right? At least that's how we generally think about it. And my dad, my dad did that, and uh, I, I did my best. I'm sure I didn't do it perfectly growing up, but when we're at their house, we obey the rules of their house. Jesus acted under authority. I'm going to cruise through some scripture and kind of paint, paint a bigger picture here of what we're talking about. So just hang with me. Try to keep up with, if you will. You can write down some of the references and look them up later. You don't need to look them all up right now. But I, I want to paint a, a, a biblical picture. There's no way we can really do a good study of the idea of authority in one sermon like this. But I want to do my best to kind of lay a good foundation for where the idea of spiritual authority comes from, as we're going to read about in Hebrews chapter 13. We've talked about this at length. John chapter 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. John chapter 12, verse 48 through 50. Jesus says, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And I know that his command leads to eternal life. 
So Jesus, he lived his life and his entire ministry and the words that he taught, everything that Jesus taught, came under the authority of the Father. He was sent with the authority of the Father to do what he did, to say what he did, to live the life that he did. And he did nothing out from underneath God's authority. He lived his whole life under God's roof. In fact, so much so, we covered this in our series on Luke, that people recognized that Jesus was operating under authority. When we studied in Luke chapter 7, this story it really stood out to us. Luke 7, verse 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, who was sick and about to die. The centurion, who's a Roman official, a, a, a soldier over at least a hundred other soldiers, that was his, he had authority over a hundred, a minimum of a hundred soldiers. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to have to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This Roman centurion who sent for Jesus' help and asked Jesus to heal his servant whom he loved said about Jesus, don't trouble yourself. Don't bother coming. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Some translations will say, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. This man recognized Jesus' authority. This man recognized that, that Jesus was operating under authority. He says this right here in, uh, let me see where I can find it. Um, verse 8, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. So he's recognizing the authority and, and referencing how he can see he's under authority because he himself is under authority. He knows what it looks like when somebody else is acting under authority. And because he recognized that Jesus had authority, he was able to say with confidence, you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. You can just say the word, just like this man, the centurion, when he says a word, it's done, right? He says, I can say go and the man goes, come and he comes, do this and he does it. Just like I can say with my people who are under my authority to do something and it's done. I recognize that, that I have the authority given to me. There's authority over me as a centurion that I can say this and it's done because there's authority that's over me that gives me the ability to say this and have it be done. I recognize this same thing in you that, that you can just say something and it's done. So just Say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just, 
just say that he's healed. Just say that you will heal my servant, and I know that he will be healed. And we talked about when we were studying through, this, through the, the first nine chapters of Luke, how this amazed Jesus. This is one of the few times that Jesus was amazed. And I think two of the three times that Jesus was amazed, he was not amazed by Jewish people, his chosen people. He was amazed by Gentiles, those outside the faith. And this is one of those cases where Jesus was amazed at the faith of the centurion. And I remember, we, I don't know if you remember, but I just remember the actor on the videos we were playing did such a good job when, when he, just kind of expressing the, the, the emotion of amazement in Jesus that, I can't believe, this is amazing, the faith of the centurion, this guy, it's amazing, it's blowing my mind. Dr. Evans, Dr. Tony Evans says, you cannot exercise legitimate authority over what you're supposed to be over unless you learn to be under what God has put over you. You cannot exercise legitimate authority over what you're supposed to be over unless you learn to be under what God has put over you. You're okay. That's all right. You cannot exercise legitimate authority over what you're supposed to be over unless you learn to be under what God has put over you. So the centurion knew how authority worked. He recognized that the way Jesus was exercising authority over demons, diseases, and death was because he had authority from somewhere else. The centurion had authority from Rome. And so because he had way over his head Roman officials who were telling him what to do and how to live and how to execute his orders, and because he had the official position of centurion, he had the authority of Rome backing him when he told the soldier to go and do this. The centurion recognizes the same authority about Jesus, that you are acting the way you are because you are, you have the authority. But when you don't operate under God's authority, we can pray all we want and nothing's going to happen because we're not under God's roof, we're under our own roof. Dr. Evans said, if Jesus can't overrule you, you're not under his authority. I suppose in my situation, if my dad had tried to overrule me in our house, I probably would have let him listen to Rush Limbaugh and just made the whole family go outside <laughs> while he chose to listen. Because he's still my father and there are, I'm, I, you know, out of honor and respect, there are things that if he, if he thought were important, I would honor. He could overrule me. But if Jesus can't overrule you, then we're not really under Jesus' authority. We're under our own. And I think this might be kind of where we're, where we're sitting right now in our, in our society. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's do it all under the authority of Jesus. Do it all under Jesus' name. And if we're doing something in Jesus' name, it has to be done with submission to Christ. Otherwise, we're not really under the name of Jesus. We're under our name. We're under our own authority. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 
It's our text for today. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. In Luke chapter seven, verse 10, it says, then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus sent the word and the man was healed. Jesus had such authority over demons, diseases, and disabilities and death that he could simply send a word and they would have to submit to his authority. Through the word that Jesus sent, this man was healed. So whatever disease was afflicting this man through the word of Jesus that was sent from miles away without even coming into proximity with this man, the man was healed because Jesus had authority over these things. He was operating under the authority of the Father, which we see in John, especially John's Gospel, that Jesus always operated in accordance with the Father's authority. He never operated outside of that authority. He always operated under God's roof. We have to learn to be under that which God has put over us. We have to learn to be under that which God has put over us. This is one of those very unpopular topics to teach about in the church today. Nobody wants to talk about submitting to authorities. It's not particularly fun this morning to be talking about trying to encourage our body to submit to the authority, especially when I'm one of those authorities. Feels very self-serving. But because it's here, we need to address it, and because we never address it, and it's a big issue for our culture, I think we really need to start swimming upstream against it. We have to learn to be under that which God has put over us. Until we do, I'm convinced we won't experience the power or presence of Christ in and through our lives. I fully believe that the only way to experience the presence and power of Christ in us is by being under God's roof, being under Christ's authority, being under God's authority, submitting to the authority of God, submitting to the authority of Christ is the only way to experience the presence and power of Christ. Otherwise, it's just our power. It's our strength. God gave Jesus authority. Jesus was able to exercise authority because he was under the authority of the Father, never did anything out from under God's roof. And even during, as the author of Hebrews has referenced a couple of times, during the greatest moment of temptation when Jesus was in the garden, being tempted to rebel against the Father and go his own way, Jesus did not come out from under God's roof. He wanted to, but he didn't. He was tested, tempted, tried, and he still obeyed. We've talked about how we are supposed to be God's kingdom delegates. We are supposed to be people with the full authority of heaven over our lives. John chapter 14, we'll come back to this one again, says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You may ask for anything in the authority, under my authority, and I will do it. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 through 20. It says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, in the authority of Jesus, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, They will pick up snakes with their hands. We're not going to talk about that this morning. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Again, we can talk about that later. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. After that, the Lord Jesus had spoke, after he had spoken this to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. 
It seems as though the disciples who witnessed the ascension of Jesus were actually able to visually see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. They were able to see that Jesus, now that his work was finished, ascended up into the heavenly sanctuary and sits at the right hand of the Father, as we've talked about throughout the book of Hebrews, where he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool under his feet. He's sitting at the position of authority. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed by his words, by, confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Paul, when he's talking about his ministry, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God. This whole newness of life is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. All this is from God, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If God is making his appeal through us, then his authority must be coming through us to make such an appeal. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The only way to experience all this stuff that's from God is by being reconciled to God, by coming under God's roof. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All this is from God, this gift to make us like Christ, and he made his son who didn't know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of this is in God, all of this is from God, and we are therefore ambassadors for the message of reconciliation. Our message to the world is come back under God's roof. We are supposed to be Christ's ambassadors operating under God's roof with the full power and authority that God gave to Jesus to bring the world back under God's roof. But we resist this idea. We resist, we resist the idea of submitting to authority. Submission is one of the dirty words in our culture. We don't like the idea of submission. And when the word comes up in scripture, we like to skip over it. And we'll say things like, I'll submit to God, just not to any man. I don't have a problem with submitting to Jesus and coming under Jesus' authority, but I won't submit to the authority of any earthly man. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. According to both this passage, the structure that is kind of laid out in the, in the epistles and, and uh, the early church, there is an authority system, an authority structure for the church. Yes, leaders have abused that authority. Yes, there are probably lots of leaders who have abused that authority, who have taken advantage of people for their own benefit under the guise of being a spiritual authority in their lives. But does that give us the permission to come out from under God's authority 
entirely. Spiritual leaders are supposed to shepherd in a certain way. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. It is not the responsibility of the authorities in the church to to strictly hold authority over the people, but yet at the same time, we are supposed to exercise oversight. So what do we do with this in our culture? Our culture is built on the premise of rebellion. Our culture, the entire American culture, is built on the premise of resisting the man, sticking it to the man, leaving England, rebelling against the king, fighting for freedom from the king, coming west so that we can, so that we can be adventurous and, and, and do things independently and all on our own. And we live in an independent world where we want to be able to do things for ourselves and make our own decisions and not have anyone tell us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live our lives. The problem is that kind of directly contradicts what it means to be a Christ follower. You might ask yourself the question, well, what authority are you under, Pastor? I'm really glad you asked. (laughs) By law, the way our bylaws are set up, I could give myself the authority right now to handle all the finances, know who gives what, and spend what I want, how I want it. By law, I could do that. Right, Jim? I could make that decision. But, in the almost seven years that I've been here, I have never written or signed a single check, and my purchases have to be approved. Because I'm choosing to come under authority. In fact, we're going to be updating our bylaws sometime in the near future to take away some of the power I currently have. Because our bylaws should reflect the way we actually operate, and we work hard to operate in line with Scripture, even when we aren't required to by law. To my knowledge, I have never intentionally used my power to benefit myself or my family personally as being the pastor of this church. As far as I know, I've given as much as I possibly can and then some. I have in the past worked for authoritarian pastors who use their power to control people under them, and I have vowed to never operate in that way. I come under... Right now, I come under the authority of the board. We have a board that operates, that handles the decisions of the church. Right now, they could get up from this room, go into the office, take a vote, and fire me. (laughs) By law, we don't have to have elders, but we have elders now and I've chosen to make myself accountable to the elders. In the future, the elders will have more by-law authority in the church. I make myself accountable to other pastors, Fred and Will. As you know, we meet every Tuesday. So I do have authority that's over me. In fact, if you're an elder or on the board, would you stand? All right. So keep standing, keep standing. If I am abusing my position as a pastor in the church, these are the people you go to. These are the people you go and talk to. And if you're not comfortable going to any of these, you guys can have a seat. I would be happy to, or one of these people would be happy to give you the number for Fred at Columbia Christian, right down the street on the corner, or Will, the pastor of Grace and Glory, down the corner and around the block. 
And you can go to them if you feel like I'm abusing my power or position as pastor and talk to them about it, and they will confront me. Promise. I have no desire to abuse the authority that God has entrusted to me or to us as leaders in the church. I know that's what any leader would say, but you're just going to have to trust me. Our elders are reading a book this month called Faith for Exiles. It's a study on millennials around the world and their faith. In America, of the, of the millennials who uh, claimed faith or at some point in their lives have claimed faith, 20% of them have walked away from the faith entirely. They would call them prodigals. 30% would be what they call nomads who still claim to be Christ followers and yet aren't practicing community or coming under the authority of any church or leader. 41% of them would be called habitual Christians. Now, these are just kind of rough numbers, so it's going to seem like the numbers don't quite add up. It looks like 101%, but there's, you know, point dots and all that stuff that I'm not including. So I'm, I'm rounding. Um, are habitual Christians, which they would say come to church once a month. And then the final 10% are what they would consider resilient disciples, those who are living out their faith in all areas of their lives. By these numbers of millennials, according to these numbers, at least half of Christ followers today are out from under the authority of the church. 18 to 35, 8-ish, somewhere in there. 1981 to whenever 18 was born, 18 years ago. Um, So at least half of Christ's followers today are out from under the authority of the church. That's assuming that 41% of these habitual Christians who go to church once a month are actually submitting to the authority of their church leaders, which... If they were, they'd probably be going to church more than once a month. So it could be as high as 90% of Christian millennials are out from under the authority of the church. This is a problem. This is something we're going to have to be uh, actively going against if we're going to live out what Scripture says for the church. By these statistics, yes, there has been abuse in the past. I think there could be abuse and misuse of power that has led to some of these things. I will not, in any circumstance, argue for the perfection of church leaders. There has been a lot of mistakes that church leaders have made. There's a lot of imperfection in Christian leadership. But right now, it doesn't look like the problem is the church. It looks like the problem is rebellion. We don't want to be under authority. Mark Sayers says it this way. He says, we want the kingdom without the king. We want the benefits of the kingdom without the authority of the king. We want all the good stuff that comes with being in the kingdom, but we don't want the king telling us how to live our lives. But if we want the power, protection, and provision that comes with being under God's roof, We have to submit to his authority. And I know how this sounds, and this is why I have a hard time teaching on this this morning, because it sounds like I'm just saying, submit to my authority. Do what I say. So you just want a church full of yes men and yes women, just to to do what you want. No, that's not really it. Again, if you have a concern, you're more than welcome to express it, to me personally or to an elder. But what we're looking for is trust. Trust that our motives are only for God's best for your life. Trust that my motives are only for God's best for your life. What I do in the the act of serving our congregation is not for my own benefit. Everything I do, I do for Christ. I do for the kingdom. And my entire aim, as you know, is to help us all look less like Adam and more like Christ. 
that we would continually shed off the things that make us less like Christ and embrace the things that make us more like Christ. So what I'm asking is that when we're, when we're talking about doing things, when we're talking about going in a direction or, or about trying something different, that, that, that there would just be this trust that my motives, that our motives as leaders in the church are not for our own personal benefit, but our motives are for you and for the kingdom. For example, I've said before that, that we might have to start saying no to other things so we can start saying yes to church things. We live in a world where we're, we constantly have FOMO, where we've got the fear of missing out on something really good. There's so many options that we can't choose between, and so we, start to, we just try to fit as much of it in as we can, and we start to cram out the things that are really important because there are these other things. But there's a new one I, I mentioned. It's not just fear of missing out, but it's FOBO, fear of better options. We don't commit to anything because we don't want to be committed to something in case something better comes along. And so we won't commit to you know, an event at the church, or we won't commit to, you know, being there for our church family because something better might come along, and so we don't want to miss out. So our FOMO and our FOBO are ruining our lives. So we might actually have to start saying no to other things so we can say yes to church things. And that's for your benefit. The more you're around your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the more time you spend in community and connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ, the more time you spend around people who are following Christ, going on the same journey in the same direction as you, who have the same mindset and the same vision and the same hope as you have, the more like them you're going to become, the easier it will be to follow Christ. And when we don't do that, when we pull ourselves out of that fellowship and community, it becomes incredibly difficult to follow Christ because we're coming out from under his roof. When we talk about inviting someone to church, it's more for your benefit, I don't know if you realize this, than it is for our benefit. I don't know if you've ever experienced the joy of inviting a non-believer to come into the kingdom Watch them be baptized. Watch them start to grow up in their faith. That is one of the most joyous experiences you could ever have in your entire life. That's for your benefit. And, by the way, we are supposed to be ambassadors for the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. And so, us asking you to be an ambassador and go out and live out your faith in front of the non-believing people in your life is for your benefit, for your growth, for your spiritual maturity. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Us being devoted to getting as many of us in this room to reading our Bibles, to pray, to read the devotional, to journal, to do all of these things that we're doing don't gain us anything. But it could transform you. It could transform the people in this room. So when we ask, what do I want? What do we want? I want you to trust that our motives are for God's best for your life. It's not that I just want you to submit to the iron, you know, iron thumb of my authority because God has given me the position of power in this church and you do what I say. But I want to ask, if you won't submit to the authority of our church, Why? Why don't you submit? I'm not going to, don't answer that question. You might, you know, have the courage to say something. But why won't you submit to the authority of our church, of the church? What keeps you from submitting to the authority of the church? And what would it take for you to submit to the authority of our church? What would it take for you to submit to the authority of the church? I mean, I don't know that God could really do much more than he's already done. 
to prove that he loves us and that his best for us is coming under his authority. He already sent his son to die on the cross. He already conquered death so that we wouldn't have to fear death. He already ascended, brought his son back up and seated him at the right hand of the Father where he's constantly interceding on our behalf to the Father for all of eternity. He eternally intercedes for us. What more do we want? How much proof do we need that God's plan is really the best plan? I'm not talking, if you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't know what it means to be a follower, if you're just not there yet, then this doesn't apply to you, and, and you're on a journey, you know, that, that you don't need to feel condemned or judged by this, but if, for those of us who are in Christ, why aren't we willing to submit to the authority that God has set up? Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Those who have to keep watch and give an account. I've often said that this, aside from my family, is the most personal thing that we do, the most personal thing that I do. I take very personally our job here at the church. Take very seriously my role of keeping watch over the flock God has put in our care. Keeps me up a lot of times at night. Creates a lot of stress and anxiety in my life. And I'm working on trusting God more and more in that. I am going to have to give an account to God for the way I shepherd this flock. And I take that with literal, eternal weight. I'm going to have to give an account. That's probably part of why I'm so serious all the time. Because it's a really serious thing to me. It's not, just, it's not just, you know, trying to have a little bit of fun around Jesus and hoping that some people show up. It's like, this is the most important thing about our lives. And I think you can argue through Hebrews that, that the, the fellowship of the body of Christ is supposed to be central in the life of the believer, it is the most important thing we do, and, and yet with the, with the pool and lure of our culture and society, I feel like it just takes the most effort and energy and work to try to just get a little bit of our time. And I'm constantly praying, is there something I need to change about the way we're doing things so that more people will embrace what you have for us. But now to the really fun part of the text. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Honesty is one of our core values. I'm trying to be an example for that, sharing honestly from my life. And to be honest, there are plenty of times when it's a burden and not a joy. Just being real. But if this authority is how God has set it up, if this is God's design, it really would be, as he says, of no benefit to you 
to resist. Is it possible that the reason we aren't experiencing the benefit of being a part of our church is because instead of making it a joy for those who are leading our church, we've made it a burden? And you might be asking, well, how do we make it a burden? How do I make it a burden? I think there are four ways I'm wrapping up, coming to a close. Apathy, ambivalence, resistance, and flat-out rebellion. Apathy, ambivalence, resistance, and rebellion. When, when your leaders, when, when the leaders of the ministries of the church pour themselves into something and our response is apathy or ambivalence, that you have no idea how much of a gut punch that is. When it's just kind of met with, that was nice. When, when we're talking about the direction of the church or we're talking about the mission of the church, when there's resistance to what we have prayed and feel God is leading us to do as a church, when there's resistance, it's just it's so disheartening. And to be honest, nothing makes me want to punch somebody in the throat more than when they're just rebelling out of pride. There, there is just something about rebellion against, I know, I'm just being honest. Am I allowed to be honest? Maybe I shouldn't be this honest. But, uh, but, but when, there's, when there's just this rebellion, it's like just this, I mean, it's just, to me, it just feels, probably shouldn't say this, but it just feels like, like, like toddler, two or three-year-old, you told me to stand, and I am not going to stand. It's like John Maxwell talks about a, a girl, and uh, he talks about a girl who, who was supposed to be doing something, I can't remember what it was, but she was told to be doing something and she didn't do it, told to be doing something and she didn't do it, told to be doing something and she didn't do it, and so finally she got sent to timeout, but when she got sent to timeout, instead of sitting down in timeout, she stood in timeout, and then she was corrected one more time, no, you need to be sitting in time out, and while she's sitting there in time out, she says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And we talked about a few weeks ago that with Jesus, action alone is not enough. That the right actions with the wrong intents is still wrong to Jesus. That we can, we can do something physically, but spiritually still be rebelling. So we're not really, I mean, our desire as a church, part of how God wired me is to really work incredibly hard to be the kind of church that God had in mind when he created us. And as hard as it may be in our culture to come under somebody else's authority, that's still how God designed it. Asking in his name is about being under his authority. John chapter 14, when he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, that's doing things because we're under his authority. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. For under God's roof. First John chapter 5:14 says, "This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, his will is his authority." If we're asking according to his will, his authority, his laying out of how he wants to see things accomplished according to his great plan, if we're asking according to that will, he hears us. But when we're asking because we're under our roof and we want to use the power of Jesus' name to get what we want for our own lives, he does not answer those prayers. 
Using the phrase in Jesus' name is not something that we can evoke, invoke to try to get what we want out of God because we are still living under our own authority. Living in Jesus' name, praying in Jesus' name, acting and ministering in Jesus' name is about submitting ourselves to what he wants. So when we pray that prayer in Jesus' name, we are praying, I'm praying this in the full submission to the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Our names hold very little power, but when we're submitting to his will and praying in his authority, we're praying under God's roof, which has all the power in the universe. Our big idea this week is we will never experience the presence and power of Christ in us until we learn to be under that which God has put over us. We will never experience the presence and power of Christ in us until we learn to be under that which God has put over us. And our weekly identity statement, I joyfully submit to the authority God has placed over my life. I joyfully submit to the authority God has put over my life. Please receive the message this morning with grace. If you want to get mad at me, you can. Let's talk about it. But this is the end of our series. This is the end of our Hebrews study. We're actually, we'll spend the next two weeks reviewing. We're going to go back over and the daily materials, going back over all the big ideas and all of that stuff and, and just refresh ourselves on this journey that we've been on for the last 78 days. But I want to take a, a minute here at the end of the service and we're just going to spend some time with some music playing. Take five, seven minutes before we start singing the next song. I'm just going to ask our prayer team to go to the tables around the room and if there's anything that over the course of this series that, that God has brought up that he wants to deal with in your life, as the music is playing, I would encourage you to go and confess, share, do whatever you need to do, pray with someone. Maybe something that, uh, that we've talked about this morning that you want to want God's help with giving you the power to live out under his authority. But maybe during this time as we're, as we're just praying, invite everyone to just kind of, if you're okay with it, just take a, a, a few moments and bow your head and pray. And if God gives you something to encourage somebody with this morning during this time, go tap that person on the shoulder and say, hey, I just feel like God wants to encourage you with this. Or maybe you don't know what to say, but you feel God drawing you to someone, and you just go to that person and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, can I just pray with you? I don't know what it's about, but I just want to pray with you this morning. I don't know what it could be, but let's just give God some time to work, and then after five or seven minutes, uh, we'll close with a song and Go out if you're on our way. Thank you for letting me share this morning. And pray that God uses it to shape us into being more the bride of Christ like he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have a system, you have a design, you have a structure in mind that you created a structure on purpose, that you're a God of order, not a God of chaos. And that as hard as we try, we will never come up with anything that rivals your system. So Father, I pray in these last few minutes we have together this morning, 
that you would just help us to align the desires of our heart and our mind with your design. If there's anything in us that's out of line with that, I pray, Father, that you would bring that to mind and give us the courage to repent, to turn away from that thing, to have a change of thinking that leads to a change in acting. That you would change the desires of our heart this morning in this moment about anything that we're trying to do on our own. I pray, Father, if there's any area of my life where I've come out from under your roof, that you would bring that to mind. If there's any area of our church where we've come out from under the roof of your authority, bring that to our mind. And if there's any area of our individual lives where we've come out from under your roof, operating on our own authority and our own power, I pray, Father, bring that to mind, that you might deal with it in this safe moment where we aren't condemned, but we're covered in grace. In Jesus' name.